Welcome to the New Freedom Church podcast. This podcast will help you grow deeper in your faith through weekly 30-minute talks. If you haven't already done so, go ahead and hit that subscribe button so you get each new episode as it's released. Now sit back and relax as God speaks to you through this message. Well, on this Sunday of Advent, we celebrate hope and what it means to have something on the inside that is so much further and deeper and more surpassing than the circumstances that sometimes occur to us on the outside. We hope in Jesus. Our hope is in Christ. Can someone say amen? Amen. Christmas time has so many wonderful themes to draw from. And one of the difficult uh, areas of preaching through uh, the Advent season is that so often the story is familiar to the point where we've already discovered it and we've turned over every rock and we think, well, there's probably nothing new I can learn from this season. And and that's where I think we have to, with childlike wonder, draw back for just a moment and see through the lens of the Word of God something fresh, something new, something exciting that we can take away in our time of worship for Advent, for this time of Christ's arrival where we celebrate the coming of our Messiah the first time. And over the next few weeks, what I want to focus on are the holy moments of Christmas. There are some holy moments that we find in Scripture that it's easy to think, oh, I've read the story. I already know what this is about. But I want to challenge you over the next few weeks as you listen, as you watch back, as you absorb the Word of God, that you allow the wonder of Christmas to alighten your path and to show you something you have never seen before. Turn with me to Matthew's Gospel, chapter 1. I want us to read starting in verse 18. You can follow along on the screen if you don't have yours with you. But I want us to read this birth narrative of Jesus from Matthew's Gospel. It says this. This is how the birth of Jesus the Messiah came about. His mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph, but before they came together, she was found to be pregnant through the Holy Spirit. Because Joseph, her husband, was a faithful man to the law and yet did not want to expose her to public disgrace, he had in mind to divorce her quietly. But after he had considered this, the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your husband. Uh, Don't don't be afraid to take Mary home as your wife. Hey, they'll they'll edit that out so you will never hear that again, all right? (laughs) And it's okay to laugh at the preacher today because I may just look out there and ask somebody to testify. If you're laughing real loud or get my attention, hey, would you come up? No, 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 don't do that. All right, let's start that sentence again. <laughs> uh, get this one right. Because Joseph, her husband, was faithful to the law and yet did not want to expose her to public disgrace and had in mind to divorce her quietly... But after he had considered this, the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife, because what is conceived in her is of the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son, and you, will, uh, you are to give him the name of Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what, what was spoken, what the Lord had spoken through the prophet. And here it is, the virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel which means God with us. When Joseph woke up, he did what the angel of the Lord had commanded him and took Mary home as his wife. But he did not consummate the marriage until she had given birth to a son and he gave him the name Jesus. Everybody say Jesus. Isn't that the most sweet name that you can ever say? Jesus, the name of Jesus. 
And so from this view of the Christmas story, we see a very real evidence of the miracle, of the miraculous occurrence that we find at Christmas. There is no other event in world history that is as miraculous as this to this point in human history that the advent, the birth of Christ was through a virgin. The one and only time that this would ever happen in history that a virgin would give birth to a child. And so Joseph made up his mind that when these events were were, uh, unfolding, that he was going to just uh, save Mary's reputation. He was going to put her away quietly. In other words, he was just going to divorce her and act like they had never even been betrothed. Because in that day, a betrothal was the same as a marriage. And though they hadn't completely consummated the the wedding yet, the wedding vows, but they were truly pledged to one another. And he thought, you know what? Uh, I can't handle the kind of ridicule and the disdain that Mary has brought upon me. And so I'm just going to divorce her. But something extraordinary happened. Something beyond comprehension took place. And that was that Joseph had to be convinced Joseph had to uh, have an altercation with his own thinking and the way that he was going to handle matters, that he had an angelic visitation. And sometimes something is so set in our hearts, so set in our minds that we are bent on doing it our way and God will supernaturally show up in a way that we did not expect. It may not be as drastic as Joseph having this dream, but there are times in which we can look back and chart the course of our lives and realize God was really superintending that event. God was truly at work when I least expected it, when I didn't even know what was taking place. God was working through me and around me and all in this situation that he brought to pass his word if I would just simply trust and obey. And this is what happened with Joseph is that he decided that, well, I'm going to go ahead and follow through on this. The angel convinced him that he needed to go ahead and take Mary as his wife in the long run. And after this angelic visitation, Joseph had a choice to make. And how can we think about our application of Joseph is that every single day you and I have a choice to make, whether we are going to follow the word of God, whether we are going to do what God has said to do, or we are going to go our own way. Joseph had the choice, would he obey or would he disobey? The choice was squarely on him. He could do either one. And what we know is that Joseph had every legal right not to follow through on his commitment to marry her. He had every legal right to just put her away, but instead, he obeyed. He obeyed the voice of God. And notice the other thing is that in, in that culture, it was naming rights given to the father. The birth father had the opportunity to name the child. He could have named this child anything, but he again chose to obey and name the child Jesus. Everybody say obey. So when I think about this story and, and when we think about this over the next few minutes, I want us to think in terms of obedience. Joseph not only demonstrated tremendous obedience, but also he's a man of follow through. He followed through on his commitments, even though they cost him something, even though it was difficult to do, he followed through and he kept to his commitment. He kept to his word. Now, when we think of obedience in our time and in our adult context, we think of obedience as something for little children. The little children are taught to obey or maybe even our pets 
We desire for our pets to obey. We, we dictate a command. We want them to follow the command. We train them through routine and schedule to follow through and to follow this command. We, we incentivize our children to obey. And as adults, we really don't like the concept of obedience. It seems a little bit harsh. It seems a little bit rigid. We, we've kind of earned our stripes. We have gained our, our freedom. We don't really like this concept of obedience. But unconsciously, we all truly as adults know how to obey. In fact, I would go as far as saying, as adults, we all strictly continue to obey. I don't think anybody in here or anyone watching us online would raise their hand to identify right now that they have disobeyed in paying their taxes. No one would want that target on their back. We really make sure we go to great lengths and painstaking effort to pay our taxes because we don't want the result of disobedience in that area of life. All of us recognize that when we man an automobile and we get in there and we start driving that there are some laws of the land and that if we press the limits and we disobey, then there is a, a corrective measure that can be given to us in the form of a ticket. Or even worse, it could be an accident. And so we typically try to obey the laws of the land that are for our own good. We, we really understand and know how to obey. We all have a concept of what it means to obey what our employer or what our customers want us to do so that we will have a payday at the end of our work week or at the end of our month or at the end of our year, whatever your pay schedule looks like. We obey the rules and the construct of business so that we can have a reward when it comes to the time of payday. Any of you who have been in education or even higher education, you know what it means to obey the limits of, of the, the semester or the schedule or, or the guidelines of an assignment. And if you go outside of those boundaries, then your grade is going to suffer. And so while we don't like necessarily the concept of obedience when it's forced upon us, we all really resonate with this kind of obedience. But how about this? How about when it comes to your relationship with God? How about when it comes to a clear spoken word of God in your heart? You see, the Bible is written, it's the canon of scripture. They're not writing any new scripture, but by God's spirit in a very real way, the spirit of God will speak up on the inside of us, will show us things, will reveal things. And we get a, a, a sense of how we should live or what decisions that we should make, not only from the word of God, that instructs us and informs us, but also by the living spirit, that the same spirit who raised Jesus from the dead now dwells in us and we have this comforter. We have this witness on the inside. And sometimes we don't really know why that we should do something. We don't really understand the logic of it. It doesn't make sense. But on the inside, we know because we know that that's what God would want me to do. How about in those moments? Do you obey? Or do you kind of discount those messages and think, well, I'm, I'm kind of a special case. God understands. Me and God, we have this understanding I'll do it like this and God will be okay with this. Somehow I'm special and the rules, really, they don't apply to me. Newsflash, the rules apply to you. God's word applies to you, relevant and contemporary even this day. Jesus, as our example, Jesus, as our model, had to actually learn obedience. Let me prove it to you. Hebrews chapter 5, verse 8 says this. Although he was a son, speaking of Jesus, he, everybody say it with me, learned obedience 
through what he suffered. What do, you, what do you mean what he suffered? Didn't he learn obedience by just watching his father do what he, well, he did, but he learned obedience through what he suffered and being made perfect. Now this is, is perfect, complete, being made complete. He became the source of eternal salvation to all who obey him. See, there's power in obedience. There's a reward for obedience. There is gain to obedience. When I, I read this verse, I realize that even Jesus, the Son of God, had to learn obedience, had to learn what it was like to walk in this path and not that path, had to understand that life was not going to just serve him up all the pleasures that he desired. Life was not always going to turn around everything good around every corner, but he had to learn obedience to the Father by the things that he suffered. Now, don't be so hard on yourself if you have walked into a path in your life of disobedience. For all we like sheep have gone astray, each and every one of us to our own wicked way. But the loving father has so revealed himself in his son that he draws us back to the path with these quiet whispers, with these cords of love. C.S. Lewis once said that God whispers in our pleasure and he shouts in our pain. And so whether it be through pleasures and blessing and obedience that you follow God, or it be through the suffering and the trial and the turmoil and the going astray, God somehow has a way to get his word known and through to you. Somebody say amen. God is good like that. And don't be so hard on yourself if you've drifted, if you've been in a place of disobedience, for there is now today in this moment, in this hour, in this Advent season, there is an opportunity to come and to right the path, to come back to the place that the Father would draw you and woo you to be. And if you are learning obedience even in this hour, understand that you are in good company. Even Jesus had to learn it. All the prophets had to learn it. All of your gospel writers and your great heroes of faith, they have to continually be on the pathway of learning obedience. Pastor Joe has to learn obedience. Every single day I have a choice. Am I going to obey what God said or am I going to disobey? The choice is ours. But could it be that your choice of obedience could be an inspiration to someone else to also obey? Could it be that your example and your steadfast persistence in what God has said, even through the times where it looks impossible for you to do it, is an example, is an inspiration for someone who is watching by the wayside? Because listen, somebody's watching your life. You may not have all of the social media followers that your neighbor has, but someone's watching your life. You may not seem to have a, a level of platform or a prominence or, or you don't take a stage or have a microphone in your hand, but someone, dear Christian saint, someone is watching your life. And obedience does not always come with boldness and confidence. Hear me. Obedience sometimes comes with trembling and fear and shaking and wonder. Sometimes obedience is, is, is rising up on the inside of us to obey and we think there is no way I'm going to do that. 
just, just about a month ago, there was a lady in our church that came forward and she said, Pastor, I, I really feel like I need to, to give this testimony. And it was brief, it was short, it was, it was in order, it was wonderful. And I said, yes, because I knew her. I've known her for a long time. And when she got the microphone in hand, her hands were trembling. This wasn't about her being seen or, or wanting to make a spectacle. This was about God impressing upon her to share something from her heart. And she did that and it, it, it was beautiful. There was another time just a couple weeks ago where Pastor Sue gave, gave a, a word to the church. It was beautiful. It was, it was inspired. It was timely. And later on that week, I was meeting with a fellow in the church, and, and he was saying, uh, you know, all this gifts of the Spirit stuff, I'm not sure that I, I, I'm going with that. He's a new convert. And he's like, I'm just not sure if I believe in all that stuff. And how does that all work out? And, and when someone speaks in the name of the Lord, you know, is that really like from God? How does that all work? And so I'm listening to him. And then he said, but last week, when Pastor Sue gave that word, I was very skeptical. He's very honest. I, how many love new converts? They're just honest. I love it when people aren't churchy enough to yet to know the language and know how to mask it all. You talk to somebody who's been in church 20 years, say, how are you, brother? I'm good. Highly blessed in favor of the Lord. Like, no, let's shed all that stuff. Let's get to the real deal. Come on, new converts tell you the real deal. He said, I was just skeptical of all that stuff. People coming up and kneeling at the altar, people speaking for the Lord. He goes, but my wife got up when she got done speaking and went down and prayed. And I looked at her like, why are you going up there? And when she got back to her seat, he said, why did you go up? And she said, that woman said something that I was dealing with this week that I had not told anybody. And it was a direct confirmation. I wanted to come and pray. Now, what if Pastor Sue had not been obedient? What if she had not followed through? God's will is still going to be done. I mean, if you miss it, we're not stopping the, the ultimate plan of God working forward. But how much better could it be if we are a, a plant in the household of God? How much better could it be if we're just one of those sheep in the stable? How much better would it be if we could be one of those angels crying out, holy, holy, holy at the advent of Jesus? We don't know through our obedience what it might mean as a blessing for us to be on the front line of what God is doing. And so obedience is not always with confidence and boldness. You don't always just have this confirmation that you're going to do this and, and everybody's going to applaud. Sometimes no one applauds. Sometimes there is no confirmation. Sometimes you feel like you're doing the right thing and you've been in the right path and others are getting exalted. Others are getting recognized, but you're not getting any kind of uh, recognition. All you're getting is admonition in your life. You're not getting recognition. I often think about the prophet Jeremiah, a whole book named after him. The minor prophets in the Old Testament are, are called minor because of the length of their, their ministry or maybe the length of, of the book. The major prophets are longer and in, entailed. In, in, in and so Jeremiah is a major prophet. But did you know, if you look back at Jeremiah's life, he was obedient to the word of God, to speaking to a wayward nation, to speaking thus saith the word of God to a king who did not want to hear it, for 40 years, hear me, for 40 years, he had a public ministry and the Bible bears out that for 40 years, he largely went ignored, unheeded, nobody listened. In fact, they say that Jeremiah in 40 years of ministry never had one convert. Now, I don't know about you, I've been doing this for 17 years and I've seen some fruit but if in 17 years I've yet to have one convert, I think I'm gonna quit and start selling cars. I mean, that's pretty discouraging, right? 
For 40 years, he obeyed the voice of God. He stayed the course. He did what God asked him to do, regardless of what was happening on the outside. And this is exactly the story of Joseph in the the nativity. This is exactly the obedience of Joseph at Advent, is that no one was cheering him on. No one was patting him on the back. We don't see that any mentor came along to Joseph and said, just keep at it, boy, you're doing a good job, son. I want you to keep on this path. No, it was an angelic visitation. And if you've ever had a dream, you know that dreams, they, they sometimes, they can leave you questioning more questions than you have answers, right? I mean, dreams sometimes you're like, where did that come from? And Joseph certainly could have doubted the dream, but he had an encounter with God through this vision. In following Jesus, I've learned that God never asks me for something that I don't have, nor does God ever ask me to do something I cannot do. But often, God will ask me for something that I don't want to part with, and He will compel upon me to do something that I would really rather not do. How about you? Is there an area of obedience that you've shelved, that you've put aside, that you've said, yeah, God, if you will give me an angelic visitation like Joseph, well, hey, don't count on it. It may not happen, but there is a still small voice. See, Joseph doesn't have, didn't have what we have. We have the benefit of the Holy Spirit living on the inside of us. We are the temple of the Holy Spirit. It took an angelic visitation for for Joseph. Now, maybe God will visit you. Maybe God will give you an angelic visitation, but don't count on it because he's already given you of his own spirit. And so when I'm faced with a decision, I have a choice. When you're faced with a decision, you have a choice. Obey or disobey. It's yours. In 1 Samuel, we see a, a story of Uh, King Saul, the very first king of Israel. And he started out really good. He was very humble. He was from the smallest tribe and he was so thankful to God that he was even anointed to be king. But over time, he started to get overconfident in his leadership ability. He started to assume that this authority that he had, this title was something worth grasping that he could now add to what God was already doing. And so he started taking matters in his own hands. And when God would give an instruction through the prophet Samuel, there would be times where Saul would take a little bit of the information and then he would use some of it, but then he would do his own on the rest of it. And in 1 Samuel 15, we see this this story where uh, the prophet comes to the king. And in these days, the king would need to consult the prophet. And the prophet was the conduit for hearing the word of God. The king did not have direct access to God. He had to go through the prophet. And so Saul, as the king, would hear from Samuel, sometimes by request, and other times Samuel would just come to him and say, this is what God wants you to do. And so in this case, God comes to the prophet and he says to the king, I want you to go to the Malachites and I want you to destroy everything in the city. This is hard for us to understand in modern contemporary terms. Why would God do this? There's very good rationale and reason why. I can't get into that today. But there was, there was an instruction that was given to King Saul to go and destroy everything there and to leave nothing, to plunder the entire land and leave nothing. When Saul arrived at the Amalekites' camp, he saw that, he observed, they had some really nice treasures There was some really uh, bountiful blessings that he could take for himself in the kingdom. 
And so he destroyed all the rubbish. Anything that was not worth very much, he destroyed all of that. Like the Lord said, I'm obeying God. I'm, I'm just going to destroy all this hay, wood, and stubble, all the stuff that wasn't worth nothing, he destroyed it. But all the stuff that was valuable, he told his men, just keep that. And the king, which we were supposed to execute, Agag, let's preserve him too, because he probably knows where some more treasures are. He's valuable for intel. We need to keep him. And so this is what Saul does. As the king, he had the the edict to be able to say, this is what we're going to do. And to just soothe his conscience a little bit, because he knows in his heart he has disobeyed God, to soothe his conscience, he takes some of the good stuff sets up an altar of sacrifice, which by the way, he was not commanded or instructed or able to do with his title. It was the prophet who could construct a place of sacrifice, place of worship, but he, he's the king, so he constructs it. And he offers to God as a sacrifice, some of the good stuff, but he keeps the king and he keeps some of the other stuff back out of sight for himself and for his own plunder. Partial obedience is total disobedience. Now we, we rationalize in our mind, we have a hard time with that saying, wait a minute, pastor, I did pretty good. Well, pretty good is not good enough. When it comes to you measuring up to God, how good is good enough? I pay my taxes. I pay my tithe. I'm nice to my neighbors. I don't cheat on my spouse. I don't kick my dog. Pretty good. Is that good enough? How about the guy who cheats, lies, steals, is a womanizer, doesn't ever do anything nice for his pets. (laughs) And yet he comes to an altar of repentant prayer to say, it is me, oh God, in the need of prayer. Save me a sinner. Is that good enough? Dear saints, that's good enough in God's book because the blood of Jesus cleanses us from all unrighteousness. And our righteousness is like filthy rags before God. We make no plea before God. We have nothing to offer before God, a holy God. And so the king preserves all the best stuff for himself. Isn't it funny how the human heart hides as though God can't see it? The human heart will not pour out the true complaint because we think somehow we can hide it from God. God already knows the thoughts and the deeds of your heart. He already knows if you're ticked off at him. So tell him he's got big shoulders, he can handle it. Pour out your lament. Pour out your complaint to God. Saul as king couldn't hide the plunder, the good stuff. And when the prophet found out this was happening, I love this verse in 1 Samuel 15, 22. And Samuel said to the king, has the Lord as great delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as in, say it with me, obeying the voice of the Lord? Behold, to obey is better than sacrifice and to listen than the fat of rams. Here's what what the prophet is saying. Big deal if you gave some of the good stuff as an offering to God. Big deal if you were partially or even mostly obedient to the voice of God. God doesn't desire your sacrifice. God doesn't desire you to give him a little portion over here, a a little time over there. God wants the whole lump. God wants complete obedience. God desires a broken and contrite heart. In such heart, he will never refuse. 
That's the kind of person that God is looking for, that God is drawing, that God is intending to use. And he said, obedience is better than anything you can offer in sacrifice. For most of us, it's easier to go online to the app and give the church a little bit of money than it is to open up our lives and say, here I am, Lord, use me, send me where you want. I'll go to the homeless shelter. I'll go out front and I'll greet people in the parking lot. Uh, It's easier for us to give a little offering, sacrifice a little than it is to actually indulge our lives and find ourselves in fellowship with the people and the plan of God, making our lives a sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is not some extraordinary service. Romans says that is your reasonable service. It is just reasonable to God that you would give of yourself and continue to give of your life for the one who laid it all down and suffered and bled and died and said on that cross, forgive them for they know not what they do. Father, forgive them. And now God says, I'm not interested in partial. I'm not interested in most. I'm not interested in, well, I meant to. God is interested in total and complete obedience. That's the kind of obedience that God can use. That's what God can work through. And in our modern mindset, we think that we're different from the people 3,000 years ago. But Joseph took Mary in obedience and in sacrifice. That wasn't easy. What if he got found out? What if someone were to have told that he just married a woman of ill repute? She's already pregnant. We know how that happens. They, 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 were, they were smart to biology. They knew, they knew how that worked. And Joseph had a lot to lose. And most of us would rather just sacrifice some stuff rather than to obey. It's easier. Honestly, it's easier. So I want to ask you this. Is God tugging on your heart today for some area of surrender and obedience to him? You've been sacrificing, but somehow on the inside, you know, that sacrifice, it's never enough. Has God been speaking something to you that you need to obey? And listen, it may not be something public like, someone coming and testifying. It may not be that, but in the private recesses of your heart, there's something left undone and God is speaking to you to obey. If that's you, if there is this tug, if there is this little nudge of the spirit, then I encourage you, I beg you, obey that tug. Even when it seems foolish and most of all, when it's uncomfortable, obey that tug. Because I can tell you from experience, hear me, I can tell you from experience. You can ignore, you can put off, you can delay that obedience. And you know what? That voice will get fainter and fainter 
And you can even do some things on the outside to drink your way into disobedience, to drug your way into disobedience. You can sleep with it. You can pay for it. You can do everything on the world standards that this world has to offer to silence the voice of God of obedience. But hear me, you will never, ever have peace while you're in disobedience. The peace of God which surpasses understanding, which guards your heart and mind through Christ Jesus is a result, is a derivative. It is a fruit of obeying, thus saith the word of God. So you've anesthetized the voice, yeah, it's quieted down. But we're coming up on a season where there's going to be some memories, there's going to be some nostalgia, there's going to be a song that plays. There is going to be a private, quiet moment where the peace is void. And it only comes through obedience, the clear call of God to obedience. Joseph's obedience resulted in the birth of Christ. Hear me, Joseph's obedience resulted in the birth of Christ. Somebody says, but preacher, that's a bold claim. What do you mean that one man obeying resulted in God's plan being done? Can't God get his plan any other way? Well, I'll tell you this. Joseph had the power, he had the ability to have Mary stoned. Come back next week and I'm going to share with you the power of conception according to the word of God of what was happening right here in this event. Joseph's obedience led to the birth of Jesus. Now, some would argue, and I would, I would concur, that God could get his plan done through another way. Listen, God's going to get praised. Whether he gets it from you or he gets it from a rock crying out, he will be praised. So his plan will go through. But Joseph, if he had chose to disobey the voice of the Lord to receive Mary as his wife, he could have had her stone. It could have thwarted or stopped, or at least delayed that method and the plan that, that was happening. And Jesus, get this. Jesus' obedience to go to the cross when he was being talked to in his ear directly to his, with his disciples, oh, don't go to the cross, Lord, not you. You can't die. You can't suffer. Jesus' obedience to go to Jerusalem anyway, to suffer, to bleed, to die, led to eternal life and resurrection and life forevermore for all those who would say yes to Jesus and his claims of victory in our lives. I am so glad that both Joseph and Jesus obeyed, aren't you? I'm so glad that they obeyed. And that's the thing about saying yes to God. When you say yes to God, you will never, ever regret it. I'm not telling you that there won't be some dark nights of the soul. Hear me. When you say yes to God, there may be some trials and tribulations. Jesus said it himself. In this world, you will have tribulation, but be of good cheer for I have overcome the world. And here's the thing I know about the yes of God. When you say yes to God, you will forever be grateful that one yes led to another yes, to another yes. And then you become like the Psalm writer who said, your word, O Lord, is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. And there I will not stray. That I pick up my foot and you set it down because the steps of a good man, the steps of a good woman are ordered of the Lord. And I say yes today with heads bowed and no one looking around between you and God. Do you need to obey?
Is there a divine yes that is reverberating in your heart and your soul? And there is an obedience that God is putting upon your life right now. There is something that you have partially obeyed. And today, now you have the revelation. Now you have the knowledge. And you're going to say, yes, I, I obey. I trust and obey. Today is my day. Today is the day that I say yes to God.